Um, hello everybody, um, this is Sean, and um, normally we start off the episode with the credit sounds from the games we talk about, uh, except for this episode, we didn't really pick games that have said sounds, so um, I'm here at a Star Sucks, uh, Starbucks, Starbucks, sorry, uh, and um, I'm just going to drop in uh, some random sound from my hard drive and ship it off to hide safe gear to add into the final produced episode. Here goes. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. So, um, so should we start then, I guess, maybe? Perhaps? Maybe? Because my voice gets Why don't we let people wait just... Let's just let them wait a little bit. You know, just a little okay, bit longer. Just, yeah, just yeah let's bit. let them enjoy the happy L for a little bit. Yeah. Or maybe we could throw in a bup-a-dup-a-da-da. Bup-a-dup-a-da-da? Hmm. Bup-a-dup-a-da-da. The love theme from Danger Death Ray? Here it comes. That's that's new. We haven't done that before, so um, we have not. You're welcome, listeners. We had. You're welcome. So um, this is um, potentially surgical Sean coming to you live from uh, the um, Chicago, from the Chicago. Yes, and it sounds to me like Jimmy G is remote today. Where you're in the field today, right? You're in. Where's that place? You're in uh, Covfefe. That's not going to be overdone by the time this is out. Oh, I was going to use that as my name today, but you know I won't. Oh, um, actually, I am. I am a man outstanding in my field. Hmm. Uh, well, actually, no, not now. I was earlier. I was pulling weeds in the garden. But actually, no, I was because we don't have a garden. Ah, we do have flower beds, but I refuse to pull weeds because one of the stupidest things in video game history was with the uh, with the game Animal Crossing for the uh, Nintendo. I gotta play that someday. Everybody talks about it, and I have no idea what it is. It's kind of like The Sims, except with uh, with cutesy characters. And if you let things go for a while, you get weeds in your village, and you have to pull them. A game about pulling weeds. Hmm. The only version of uh, Animal Crossing that I liked was the first one, because in the game they had hidden... Uh, NES games that you could uncover, and um, that gave me something to shoot for. In fact, the one I had had uh, Donkey Kong already on the memory card that came with it, so uh, that was kind of cool. But uh, yeah, and I, I heard that it was either Super Mario Brothers or The Legend of Zelda are actually, the, they have found the code for that in the GameCube version one of those two games, maybe both, uh, for the GameCube version of Animal Crossing, but nobody has been able to figure out how to unlock those games yet. Um, hmm. One of one of them, I think Super Mario, uh, they actually found a way, but it, it uh, includes a modifying your save file. Uh, but they haven't figured it out with, uh, with uh, Legend of Zelda, I believe it is, which uh, that's pretty cool. There's like 10 hidden games in there. Uh, the only ones I remember unlocking were her Wario's Woods, which that if you like puzzle games, that's a great game. I mm-hmm. think that was the last officially released title for the NES in the United States. Uh, Wario's Woods, that's a really fun game. And that's, um, that's one of those. Um, it's kind of like a columns type game, isn't it? 
it's a puzzle game. It's uh, Tetris, yeah. except it's got a, a lot more rules to it, and uh, it's it's really fun. I mean, the, the yeah, it looks the, fun. I um, adjudicated one of those uh, Wario games on Twin Galaxies once, and it looked like uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, check out Wario Woods uh, on an NES emulator, or I'm sorry, on your legally on your NES, which you know, <clears throat> yeah, um, or your emulator if you own the actual game. That's true, mm-hmm. because uh, that's a that's a really really fun game. Um, me and the kids had a lot of fun with that back when we had a GameCube. So, what have uh, have you been playing anything in particular lately? Well, uh, I have been playing the games we're going to be talking about tonight. And I uh, was messing around with my Raspberry Pi the other day, and I discovered a game in the repositories. Uh, there's a um, a game programming engine that you can install, or not, well, not that you can install, but uh, that you can uh, games that are created with it you can run on the uh, on the on RetroPie. Um, it's called Love, and it's a it's a game right. engine. I was ta- I was uh, looking at it online the other day. And there is a game I was playing on there it was so interesting, but I don't know if I should talk about it tonight, uh, mainly because I already know what games we're going to be talking about next week. And it's a more interesting fit with next week's episode. You know what I'm saying? I know what um, you're saying. Or do I? It's a combination of several games. Uh, I can tell you one of them because it's a game we won't cover because it was never an arcade game. And uh, it's a combination of, of a certain game and Portal. And, okay. And I was uh, I was having some fun with it. I've got Portal 1 on one of my computers here. I've never solved it. There's it, it, it only like 10, 12 levels. And it's, uh, you know, that's where they get the whole meme, the cake is a lie from. And uh, Portal's a fun game, but it just gets so insanely hard at points. But, um, yeah. But I was playing tonight's games and... Um, well, as for me, I I haven't really been playing much games, including the two games that we were talking much about. Games? This, right? Many games. Sorry about that. I, there we go. I've I've had a rough day, and I and ah, don't even get me started so. on rough days. Uh, but the less said about my problems, the better. Ah. This is not a laundry airing show. We should do one. We should do a laundry airing show. Um, like where we talk about how we air our laundry. I mean, just just oh, oh, just oh, oh, a spoiler no, 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 alert. No, no. A spoiler alert. I usually use a drying rack in our dining room. No, 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 no. We can talk, we can do a, a YouTube video cast and we could play uh, clips from uh, TV shows and movies of people that have laundry drying out in the, in the air. And I've just oh. immediately thought about Friday the 13th part three, where hmm. Jason was stalking, uh, stalking the owner of a, of a little convenience store and, uh, and all of these rows of hanging uh, bed sheets. Huh. It was actually a pretty good 3d effect huh. actually, well, but, uh, Hey, you're the movie but, guy. I'll have to trust you with that. Well, I don't see very many movies. Oh, please. I've seen one movie this year. That's more than I've seen. Lego Batman. Hmm. Not as good as, uh, the, the Lego movie, but it was still, still pretty damn funny. Yeah. But yeah, and Billy D. Williams finally got to play Two Face. Yeah, I've hardly played any games, just including the two games. I, I did play one of the games we're talking about, and I and I just played a, played it once, but I played it over and over and over and had a really good time with it. But I just haven't really had a chance. It's been a busy couple of weeks for me. And when yeah. I wasn't busy, I was just playing, having a holiday weekend with the wife, and you know, like you know, you, you're when you're away and you're with the wife, you don't have your games I, with you. I was going to ask you because, uh, from what I gather from your no. Facebook page, 
Oh, you didn't visit the Duramo no, factory? Basically, once we oh. pulled in, we didn't get back in the vehicle until we left. So, oh, dang it. I was wanting to, I was hoping you would get some pictures at the very least of the Duramo factory, which is right in that area. You're yep. only like 15 miles from it. Yep. If it were raining, I probably would have. We'll just have to do a road trip. Go for it. No, we'll do it. We'll we'll do a Pie Factory podcast remote from the Dura Mold Factory. That might be something. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You never know. Yeah, I'm still curious if somebody uh, it works there uh, that was around when uh, Williams made the cabinets. Not well. They they don't necessarily have to have somebody working there, but I would still be curious. Uh, I I've got a few questions, but not really too many because it is a just it's just a cabinet, but it's a uh, one of the more interesting uh, developments in cabinets. Interesting developments in cabinets. So, But yeah, so that's my gaming week, and that is not much at all. Not even much Atari 7800 stuff, really. As much of a 7800 fan as I am, haven't been keeping up with the 2600 and 7800 games that are going on and Atari Age and Atari.io. Didn't make any arcade trips, although I am planning to make a trip this weekend, um, or uh, more likely for what our listeners are hearing this past weekend, but hey. Um, What do we have in news? Well, um, we got a response to my, to the, uh, the, one of our videos about Beavis and Butthead. Oh, do tell. Yeah. And uh, if I would have thought about it earlier, I would have. Put it up or up on my screen. Let me see if I can find it. Well, while you're looking for that, speaking of Atari 7800, I found out that there's more updates on the 7800XM, the controversial little doohickey that is. And apparently, Kurt Vendel, who was in charge of that project, just had his seventh heart surgery, which is freaking nuts. Wait. Kurt had his seventh heart surgery. Yeah, he posted about it yesterday. He's like, "I'm recovering from my seventh heart heart surgery. I'm finally back. I'm ready to go again." And it's like, "Good grief!" It's like, "Dude, just recover. Don't worry about. Have someone else do it." Well, I I um I brought up here and uh, some of these stuff. Um, but yeah, we actually and I I did not catch this. And these comments were last left. Uh, five to two, five, uh, from five to one month ago. And, um, one of the creators of the Beavis and Butthead arcade game actually responded to our video on YouTube, link in the show notes. And, um, a year ago, uh, I'm going to just read the whole thread here because there's, there's not that many messages, but, uh, uh, from Sia Beard, um, like 95% of the voice clips are from seasons one to three, just like the Genesis and SNES games, which were all, all the cruder 1993 episodes that are more uncommon due to Mike Judge not wanting almost any of them released on DVD and kids burning down their houses or whatever. There are very few references to anything post-1993, mainly Cornholio, who was introduced in July of 94, and correct me if I'm wrong, there doesn't seem to be any Cornholio voice samples either, which leads me to believe... Read more. Whoever you are, you're wrong. Uh, well, yeah, he was wrong. Uh, leads me to believe that was a very last-minute addition. Also, all episode references and characters are from the 1993 era as well. Burger tag, couch fishing, going to the circus. Mistress Cora, for example, never made appearances in later seasons. A few lines about the joystick and any obvious video game references are the only voice samples that are exclusive to the game and not from the actual show. By the way, the fat guy is named Billy Bob, and that's what his chest tattoo says as well. Awesome video, guys. I think we read that on the air. I think we uh, did. But uh, Kevin Miller 
One of the creators of the game responded to that five months ago. We worked on the game from mid-93 to early-95 when Time Warner Interactive, or TWI, pulled the plug. So the design reflected mostly the 93 and earlier era, but we know the, knew the day after the Cornholio episode came out that, that he was a must. The programmers did a good job of getting an almost complete version of the game just for posterity. I honestly think it's pretty solid for a prototype. Too bad we couldn't get the rave level in there. It just wasn't ready yet. I'm pretty amused to see that after more than 20 years, my high score still stands. Smiley face. Uh, Sean Beard responded, Wow, very honored to get a reply from someone who worked on this game. If you do the Facebook thing and are a fan of the show, you should join my fan group. Thanks for the response. Would love to hear any more neat facts about the game, if you have any. And Kevin Miller responds, I'm just happy to see people actually getting to play the game. I haven't seen that in over 20 years. And then uh, Jinzo Clash uh, responds, Rave level? That would have been so cool. And responds again, and if you look at 27 minutes, you'll see that Butthead is doing the Cornholio shirt thing. And a month ago, Kevin, Kevin responded, I was especially disappointed because I thought that was where my best work was. I did most of the background art you see in the game. It was the one we did last, and so I had really found my groove at that point. The backgrounds were complete, but other elements weren't when the final version, as complete it was, as it was ever going to be, was made. I wish I still had the video to upload, but it's gotten lost over the years. And then some butthole by the name of Scattered Frog responded uh, nine hours ago, known colloquially as buttholio. So, colloquially. I have a problem with that word. So, yeah, that I I don't know why I never read this. And I keep going back to that video from time to time. Well, it's easy to miss that minutia. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to try to contact uh, Kevin Miller to see if he'd uh, be willing to come on the show to talk about it a little more. Kevin, if you're listening, uh, would you be willing to come on the show and talk about it a little more? We also got some responses from the contact us on the Pie Factory podcast website. Ooh, do tell. And uh, just a uh, just a, a note before I read this, uh, please put your name in the email so that we or in the uh, you know in the, the contact form so that we know exactly who's talking to us. And that's basically what this well, is about. that that was the fault of our webmaster. Oh yes, that's right. Yes. You have to like really look hard for it. So. Gotcha. Uh, but it says here, hey, guys, just a quick follow up to my last email on the Gauntlet episode. I go by Rob Elkin. Hi, Rob Elkin. Hi, Robulus. Uh, Rob Elkin. That name is familiar. I know his name from somewhere. I swear I know his name. Um, I have included a YouTube link showing the final score. Seek to around 420 to compare just to prove I'm not bull at, uh, bull at pound sign pound signing. And then he has the link to the YouTube video. Anyway, I always appreciate the info and insight you guys bring to the podcast. And I often learn something new every time. And you know what? I learn something new every time I listen to the show, too. Well, maybe I should link that in the show notes. The video, you think? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, will I think do he was that talking right he, now, actually. And I think he, uh, the, the video, I was hoping he was uh, responding to about the, uh, the fact when you enter uh, a token, how, you know, it just like have your score or whatever he said it was in the last email. But I think that's just to prove his, uh, his high scores. Maybe. I don't know, but I think that's what um, it was. Yeah. I think that's what it was. And, uh, thank you for uh, con- getting back to us, uh, so that we could give you proper yeah, credit thank you, Rob. email. Yeah. We like to give everybody their due. We don't like to misattribute things, uh, to, uh, to, uh, people just like when we had, uh, Rembrandt on the show a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, he was saying that, uh, uh he absolutely loved the movie uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So, you know, thank you, Rembrandt. Yeah, thank you, Rembrandt. 
so we had that. Um, oh, I think we also got an email explaining or clarifying your question about Italian names. Yes. Um, I was wondering yeah. if you're going to want to read yeah, this. Let's, but, let's, um, yeah, because just in case anybody else's anybody else's um, say. I, I, you know what? I did call him out by name, so I should read yeah, it just to be fair. You want, you want to read it or uh, you want I should read it or what? Why don't you read it? <coughs> I have to take another. He actually says that here. in the bottom of the email, by the way. It actually says. <coughs> oh, holy cow, it does. As long as I'm trying to set a record for sending the most amount of off-topic feedback that won't get read on the show, I should point out that you're correct. Italian names all sound about the same. There's a reason for this, of course. At one time, all Italian and Sicilian clans had rather generic names, Smith, Doe, Odachowski, etc. The only features that really set us apart from other Europeans were our sizable noses. 200 years ago, a highly influential Italian, Veni Bag of Toast Frizzano, decided that he would rename all... I don't know if I want to say this word because I'm not Italian. Well, Chris put it in the email. Yeah, he's he's I, of Italian I, I, descent. I know, but I... I'm, I'm of German descent. I'm of Polish descent, and I always... And I always call myself the, uh, I, well, I'm of German descent and I always call myself a kraut. So, you know. Yeah, but that's, yeah, that's yourself. I am not, I am yes. not Chris But plus he plus. put it in his email. You're quoting him. You're not saying He would it. rename all word that rhymes with, with, um, um. It, it's, it's similar to doggos. Yeah. And, and it looks like the capital of Nigeria, but with a D at the beginning instead, instead of an of L. L. To make us more distinctive. Let's just say that he and his family, I was doing finger quotes there as you can see, made my ancestors an offer they couldn't refuse. The problem was, old Vinny didn't have the most expensive imagination. Expansive imagination, pardon me. Every name he came up with tended to sound the same and each ended with a vowel. The reason for this can be found in his famous quote, known to all European historians, which is inscribed on every replica of, the, of his statue. The original was stolen. That can be found in front of pasta restaurants and Nissan Z car dealerships. You can yell them types of name more easier. Just thought I'd share some history with you. Chris Plus Plus. Chris Plus Plus, I personally thank you for that clarification, that explanation. I have no idea about any of my family heritage, so... Well, thank you, Chris. Yes, thanks. Thank you very much. Oh, I think my volume just went back down. Yep, my volume just went back down, so I will boost it up again. Ah, there we go. There. And uh, let me see. Oh, we have another um, an email here. It's, it's from someone named Capital One, and it says, um, friendly alert, your account is two payments behind. Oh, Get your account caught up by, oh, wait a minute. That's my personal email. Um, oh, good, good. I got scared there for a second. Whew. Yeah. Don't uh, do I that. Somebody hacked the, uh, the, uh, the pie factory, uh, capital one account, man. Yeah. There go all our Patreon donations. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, uh, I think that was it in terms of feedback. Oh, no, 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 no. Got a little mm-hmm. bit of um, Atari Age feedback over at the forums mm-hmm. at atariage.com. Let's see, what do they have to talk about over at the Atari Age? 
S1500 says, Crush Roller was the name of my breakdancing crew, BITD. I did not know that's that. Actually a, that's actually a good band name. It prob- <laughs> it's, it'd probably a, it'd be a good metal band name, I think. That would be a disco. That would be a disco band because I'm thinking Crush Roller or uh, or breakdancing perhaps, but uh, I'm thinking of uh, the kind of music that they used to play at uh, roller skating rinks. What, the organy kind of music? No, 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 no. Or the disco they, they would always play like s- s- disco music. If you want to see a good movie about the disco, the roller disco era, uh, I suggest uh, you watch The Ginger Dead Man 3, Saturday Night Cleaver. You're the movie guy, so I have to trust you on that. RJ. Oh, gosh. <laughs> RJ mentioned something interesting I didn't know. Um, he says, I don't think I heard it mentioned on the show, but Walter Day has said Make Tracks is his favorite game. You're right. You didn't hear it mentioned on the show because we didn't know that. You know, I want to think I actually did hear oh, that mentioned Oh, shut up. Stop making me look bad. I don't have to try to do I, that. That's that's point well taken. But... You know, I want to think I had heard that somewhere, but then again, I think a lot of things. So, yeah, I'll take that for whatever it's worth. Does that uh, qualify as addenda and errata, actually? Oh, yeah, it does, actually. Yeah, I think that is a that's qualified. Well, heck, we might as well just uh, go into addenda and errata, shall we? Yes. Yeah, we might as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a dude. Okay, scattered frog, let's hear it. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess that was um, our first addendum right there. Um, and that, that was pretty much it for Atari Age, except uh, S1500 mentioned that he hadn't heard B is for Bubble in decades. Yeah, probably because he probably hadn't watched Sesame Street. In de- I think that was actually used in the first episode of Sesame Street. Couldn't tell you. I don't remember I think that it song. does. We have the old school DVD that has like the first season of Sesame Street on it from like 1969 mm-hmm. or whatever. I think it's on that. And uh-huh. That was back when Gordon was played by a completely different guy too. Mm-hmm. And when Oscar was still yellow and big bird didn't have a lot of feathers. Um, and in other pie factory news, we did have um, a possible errata. I was too lazy to confirm this. Uh, this comes actually from um, the owner of underground retrocade. Uh, one Mr. Scott Lambert. He says he thought he heard one of us. And uh, that one of us is not the guy currently talking. Say that the Sinistar joystick is a 64-way joystick. He's like, what? He said, no, it's 49 ways. I was like, he's, who's, he's, somebody said it was 64. I said that, yeah. I, I'm wondering if I was thinking of maybe the Food Fight joystick. I think that's also 49 ways. Is it? I think so. Where did I get 64 from? I don't know. Oh, and we. I just like big numbers. And we have an addendum for episode one. Oh? When we talked about Donkey Kong, um, Donkey Kong, I was requested from a listener of ours whom about whom we will talk later on in the show, actually, that we need to call attention to Donkey Kong Forum, Donkey Kong Forum. And that's and uh, the URL is Donkey Kong And it's mostly discussion about Donkey Kong related topics, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong three, Crazy Kong, D2K. <laughs> Have you played that D2K? I tried and Wait, was it I that gave one or was it Donkey Kong 2? I think, oh, Those you know, it was Donkey Kong insane. 2. Donkey Kong 2, I think, is the one I, I was trying out. That game is freaking insane. I could not get past, I, well, I couldn't get couldn't get past the you know first level in Donkey Kong for the longest time up until like maybe five years ago. Uh, well, maybe 10 years ago. But um, those yeah, levels I are so insanely freak, freaking hard. I, I cannot it's amazing. play that. 
I can't play it at all. It, it was there's so the, hard that level, it got the me. The second level, the second level, there, there's this like um, the beams are like moving on this conveyor belt. And you got you jump on the, the bottom one to move to the right. And then you got to jump over the beam that's going to the left so that you don't um, like get knocked off. And then once you get to the, to the, the, the right hand side of the screen, then you got to get on the one going to the left. And then you got to jump over the conve- the the beams on the conveyor belt above you so that you don't it it's just it was insane I, I wow i don't think i've ever experienced frustration in a video game like i did when i was playing yeah, Donkey i got Kong so frustrated with that i just gave up i did not care at all and i still look, don't care uh, the levels are interesting they're fascinating to look at but i would suggest you know what? i would suggest giving it a shot just once or twice but then if you really want to see the game just youtube unless you're a huge donkey kong fanatic yeah yeah i'm afraid i'm gonna have to agree with that there there you go indeed um so what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna put a link to donkey kong forum in the show notes but for episode one so if you go to piefactorypodcast.com and click on the show notes link you're gonna click your way over to episode one donkey kong and donkey kong three have a link to donk to the donkey kong or maybe i'll put it in both I'll, i'll put it in that episode and this current episode as well wt hey hey and um i think that's all the addenda and errata we have right now i think I think so. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, why don't we start ta- talking about some uh, gameages? Sounds like a pretty cl- crappy plan, but okay. Well, hey, what are you going to do? We got we got to get on with the show. With what game should we start? Why don't you decide, Mr. Hostman? All right. Um, I'm going to decide. Um, you know what? Let's go with Black Widow. Let's go with Black Widow. Yes. Ah, Black Widow. Black Widow. Yay, Black Widow. Yay, Black Widow. Ah, Black Widow. Yeah. Yeah, hey there, Black Oops, Widow. Oops, Black Widow. Uh, I'm going to start doing the Minnesota thing. Yeah, hey, Black Widow. Or is that, no, or is that Wisconsin? No, that's that's a Uper. Yeah, hey, that's a Uper. Uh, for those not in the know, Uper is a person from the Upper Peninsula. Wait, yeah, but okay, so, explain the Hey There Milwaukee Polka by Jonathan Brandmeier. Oh, yeah, that's a good Yeah, point. which includes the phrase, yeah, hey. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's every state in the Midwest that's north of Illinois. Yeah, probably. Although Michigan does technically go maybe about 70 miles south of Illinois' most northern border, but most of Michigan is north of Illinois, so I guess it counts. So anyway, yes, Black Widow, uh, released in February of 1983, uh, although in many machines the display says 1982, it was released in February of 1983. Well, yeah, the 1982 date might have been the date that they were actually working on it, so... Well, there's another reason why it might say 1982, which we'll get into a little later. Ooh, do tell. But later. Um, no, I'll tell later. Yeah, uh, this is a uh, color vector game. Oh, uh, preemptive this week in Robotron. Oh, okay, okay, hold on. This week in Robotron. There we go. All right, in this game, um, you play as the Black Widow, and you must protect your food, the grub steaks, grub steaks. From the invading insects, uh, your controls. You have two eight-way joysticks, a left one, which moves your red-colored Black Widow. Black color, with black, red-colored Black Widow. Okay. I'm so and confused. You, uh, anyway, your right joystick fires. I didn't get a, didn't see how many shots that you can have on screen at a time. And I guess it don't really matter. The screen is a kind of an oval-shaped blue spider web with a hole in the middle. 
Uh, the Black Widow may walk over the hole, but the Black Widow can't get, like, walk into the corners of the screen where the web ends and into the, you know, the, the black areas in the corner, which kind of sucks because uh, there are some insects that uh, that could go up in there. And your shots only have a limited range. Uh, unfortunately, no power-ups, no nothing. This is an early game before power-ups were all the rage with the youngsters. But um, on the spider web, sometimes a green or a red web will appear. Now, if it's a green web, insects cannot pass through the green web if they're going toward the outside of the screen. They can pass through it if they're going toward the inside of the screen but not going out. And if you see a red web, the Black Widow, your character, cannot pass through the red, once again, going toward the outside of the web, but you can pass through it uh, going in toward the middle, which is kind of good that they, they put that in there because of the this is an extremely fast action game. Uh, let me tell you. Got a number of enemies. And uh, you have, first of all, mosquitoes. They're a small, uh, small insect with a purple body with green wings. Um, if most of these things are shot, they will become a grub stake. Oh, and by the way, the grub stake looks like a dollar sign. I don't know why a dollar is food, but <laughs> in today's economy. so They might uh, be cookies shaped like dollar signs. Uh, biscuits. Or biscuits. Oh, I forget. Yeah. Damn I forgot biscuits. to do my uh, Victor Marland, uh, Marland impersonation. I could do that at the end of the episode. Okay. Uh, uh, those, yeah, so there's that. Um, then you have a beetle. Which is a large-sized bug with a blue body with red legs. Uh, he will eat the grub stakes or the dollar sign, but if shot, will become a grub steak or dollar sign. I'm just going to refer to him as grub stakes. They look like a dollar sign. They're called grub stakes. I'm going to call them grub stakes from here on out. Hey, whatever. Now, one of my least favorite <laughs> least favorite insects in the game is the hornet. Small red body with yellow wings. The wings uh, tend to be the most prominent feature of most of these insects, by the way. So, uh, if you're looking to, to, to determine what the, the insect is, look first at the wings, for the most part. Um, but yeah, uh, yellow wings, blue legs. And it lays an egg on the grub stake, but if shot becomes a grub stake. Uh, there's a large purple-bodied insect with red wings and red legs called the Spoiler. He is invulnerable. You cannot kill him. He can only be destroyed by a grenade bug, bug slayer, or rocket bug. Now, the Spoiler is large purple body with red wings and legs. Uh, he is invulnerable. He looks mostly red as the primary color on this guy. He can only be destroyed by a grenade bug, bug slayer, or rocket bug. Um, then you have the grenade bug. This is a large insect. It's got a red body and the prominent green wings, blue legs. He will explode if shot, and he uh, there will be like a, a, a white oval uh, explosion that comes out from him. And anything caught in that oval will get destroyed, including yourself. <laughs> <gasps> yes, um, he will kill all bugs and eggs and creatures within the kill zone. And you'll score 500 points for each item caught in the kill zone. Uh, then you have the rocket bug. Uh, this is a large white bug whose body shape is shaped like an arrow. He's got red wings. He is invulnerable. We'll die if you touch him. He launches rockets, not like the ones that play at perform at Radio City Music Hall, but... Uh, they're, they look like smaller versions of the rocket bug. Uh, yeah, so he shoots those at your character uh, from other bugs at tags. So if he were to, say, tag a mosquito, the mosquito would become a rocket, 
uh, and get the big bucks uh, from performing at Radio City Music Hall and try to attack you. And um, you get 100 points for each rocket that you destroy. The Thunderbug, which is no, not a song by ACDC, that's Thunderstruck, a medium-sized uh, bug with a yellow body, red wings, and if shot, he turns blue. Uh, th this insect looks kind of like a triangle. will break formation and attack you. If shot again, it explodes all under thunder thunderbugs in its radius. Every fourth level, there it's a, it's a thunderbug level, where there will be a whole line of these coming out. And if you destroy all of them, you get a 5,000-point bonus. If you don't shoot any of them and keep away from them and survive the wave, you can get 10,000 points. Ooh. And uh, there's, there's, there is a, a twist to the scoring in this game that I only realized a couple of nights ago that we will get to in just a moment here. The Bug Slayer. Uh, this insect is, it's, a, it's like, uh, what is it? It's, it? I guess it looks like a big, big like green spider, I guess. Uh, he's harmless to the player and he's also invulnerable. So you could touch this insect. You first, bub. What happens is the Bug Slayer competes with the Black Widow for your grub stakes and other insects. Uh, if you see something flashing, that is the next target of the uh, Bug Slayer. So either shoot the insect he's targeting or try to get the grub stake he's targeting before he gets it because he takes points away from you. And finally, uh, remember when I mentioned the hornets that lays eggs on the grub stakes? No, I don't. Well, yeah, I did. The hornet will lay either a yellow egg on a grub stake or a red egg. The yellow egg will turn into a hornet or the red egg will turn into a spoiler. Now, you can actually, you actually can get rid of these things. You can push the eggs off of the web, either toward the outside of the screen or toward the hole in the middle. So uh, there's that. The longer you wait, the more points you actually get for pushing the egg off of the web. Starts at 500 points, then goes to 1,000, 1,500, 2,000, and finally 2,500 points. And you can tell because the, uh, the, uh, the egg gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it hatches. So uh, you have some time there. Picking up a grub stake, on the other hand, works just the opposite. The longer you wait, the fewer points it's worth. When you first kill something, the grub stakes start as white, and you get 500 points, then they move toward light blue, and then you get 250, then green, you get 100 points, and then finally, just like a dark blue, 50 points, and then they finally disappear. The game is set for a free life every 20,000 points. Now, with all of the shooting and things you're destroying in this game, you'd think it was a pretty high-scoring game, and it's, oh, yeah. it is a, it's a fairly high-scoring game, but there is a twist to this that I just realized just the other day, and I've been playing this game for years since I saw it, you know, in my local arcade, which we'll get to where I saw it first uh, in a little bit. But um, other than the rockets, you don't get points for shooting any of the bugs. What? You get all of your points from collecting the grub stakes, pushing eggs off the web, killing or avoiding all the thunderbugs, or getting insects caught in the explosions of the grenade bugs. You get no points for actually killing any of the bugs. What? That's all I have, by the way, just but. Oh, okay. A, a couple of other things here. Your shots, uh, actually, and I did not realize this again until a few nights ago, but uh, 
your shots actually bounce off of the grub stakes. So you could be sh- like shooting toward the right, and if it hits a grub stake, it will reflect it to like the left or the right or up and down, depending on how you you know how the uh, your shots are angled. Uh, that can actually be very helpful or pretty dangerous when it comes to the um, to the grenade bugs, because there are levels where you can have like ten grenade bugs, and uh, you do not want to start a chain reaction unless. You are all the way over on the other side of the web. That's always a, a fun time. Now, when you start the game, you can actually select the difficulty level you want to start at. And um, to uh, to start the game, what you do is you you uh, you select the difficulty level you want with the right joystick. And to start at that level, you push the left joystick and press start. I don't know why they did that. They they could have done do it with just. It? Oh, never mind. Sorry, well, I don't know. You'd think it'd just be easier just to have them press start again just to do that, but that's a little minor quibble for this game. By default, you can start up to level 21. And um, here, I have a list of all of the different levels you can start out at. Uh, now, it gets start out of wave. It starts at wave one, and then it increases by every four waves. Then you get a different bonus, not by completing the wave. No. You get the bonus by shooting a bonus bug, Ooh. which looks like a gigantic green grub stake with wings. In other words, a dollar sign with wings. And you have to shoot that to get the bonus points. I've actually started on a higher level before and not gotten the bonus because I couldn't shoot that thing, despite the fact that it was insanely huge. I'm huge! But yeah, so you can start out at different levels. Uh, as I said, they go up by four. You get different bonus points, but... Uh, I'm going to read you out uh, the list of uh, waves and their difficulty. What's, what does that mean? Read me out. We'll do it live. <laughs> All right. So you can start at wave there. one, no bonus, and the difficulty is called for sure. Uh, wave five. Actually, the uh, you can start at waves one, five, nine, 13, 17, 21, 25, 29, 33, 37, 41, 45, 49, or 53. If you reach. Did you get all that, folks? If you reach, say, level 9, or, well, actually, uh, say, like, you reach level 33, you can select level 33 as the difficulty level for the next game. Uh, The number of bonus points you get, obviously, wave 1 is 0, then 25,000, 50,000, 7,500, and it increases, it looks like, by, uh, let's see, oh, no, they're they're throwing me a curveball here. Uh, 50,000, 75,000, 100,000, 125, 150, 175, 255, 295, 335, 375, and 415. And then here's what they call each difficulty level. Uh, Each difficulty, the title is uh, for every two difficulty selections. So waves 1 and 5 are called for sure. 9 and 13 are far out. 17 and 21 are called intense. 25 and 29 are called unreal. 33 and 37 are called awesome. 41 and 45 are insane. And 49 and 53 are tubular. So, uh, yeah, a little California there for you. Yeah. So, um, and this is something interesting. Uh, I did not notice until, again, just a couple of days ago. On the high score screen, when you can enter your initials, now you push the right joystick to enter your letter. Left joystick, you go left or right to, to scroll through the letter. Say, like, you have you selected the J. On the left, using the left joystick, you push the right joystick, enter it, and moves to the next letter, you know, like many games do. However, the left joystick, if you move it up or down, you can change the color of your letters, uh, which I did not know. I did, so, whoa. Yeah, you can change the color of your initials. 
Uh, oh. They give you red, white, blue, I think light blue and green to select from. So I thought that was kind of a neat little touch. Remember we were talking, I think it was about uh, Pac-Land that allow you had ghosts and stuff like that in your initials. Yeah. And then Xevious, if you hit the one button, you can choose upper or lower. Uh, this is neat that it gives you the uh, the choice of, uh, of, of putting uh, different colors for your initials. Nice little touch. Getting into some uh, trivia here. Apparently there are only 1,550 units produced. Every Black Widow game was a conversion of other Atari Vector titles. They were sold for $995. And this is the first time we've actually gotten a price on a, uh, yeah, on a right. conversion kit. Even the brand new Black Widow cabinets were converted Gravatar games that uh, were converted actually at the factory. This game, well, I've shared a lot of the same internal components with Gravatar and Space Duel. And uh, apparently, from what I've been researching, Black Widow machines are often used to repair Space Duel and Gravatar cabinets, which is kind of sad. There are no home ports of Black Widow for any classic system. This is interesting. In the game, your Black Widow is color red. But in the attract mode, the Black Widow is green. Interesting. Interesting. And I have to mention, the title screen for this game is pretty cool. It says Black Widow, but instead of actually spelling out Black Widow in vectors, it only the it uses red vectors to only highlight the top and right of each letter. You know, kind of sort of like a, a pseudo. It, it, it's uh, one of those optical illusion things that the kids are so obsessed with these days. And I just think it's just one of the neatest looking uh, title screens for any video game. But um, that is Black Widow. Is it now? That is. It is indeed. So, Sean. So, Jimmy G. Yes, let's get into our discussion about Black Widow now that oh, we know let's what the do. game is about. Yes. What do you think of Black Widow? Tell me your impressions. Tell me your thoughts and observations of Black Widow. Huh. Well, I feel kind of weird about giving an impression about Black Widow because I really haven't played it that much. But uh, Black Widow, at least for the times that I did play it, I played it a couple of times at Galloping Ghost, but I I don't know. I, my, my attention span just wasn't with me, so I don't remember from that experience. But I played it a lot on MAME. And this is on my laptop with only the keyboard, and I was still having a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It's a fun game. It really is. But please, 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 please play this game with two joysticks. Oh, yeah. And this is interesting with these uh, with these games that are two joysticks. It's it's hard to find a controller these days that don't have like two you know two thumbsticks on them. But there is a difference between a small handheld controller with two thumbsticks than the, and the actual arcade you know two joystick setup. Um, obviously, I think you would do better with the uh, arcade joysticks, but I don't know. I guess it depends. But there is there is a different feel uh, with the controls at the arcade versus home. Uh, although I think I did better <laughs> the other day playing it at home uh, with uh, with my little your little what, Mister, and make it clean. I'm trying to remember if I did it with the uh, the Xbox controller or my eight bit. No, probably. You know what? I think I've played it with both. Now that I think about it, but um, I'm going to say right now that I was fortunate to play this at the Aladdin's Castle in the Louis Joliet Mall back in the summer of '83 or thereabouts, and. From the first time I played this game, I instantly fell in love with this game. 
obviously, obviously Robotron inspired. And, and it sounds like something that Atari tried just to slap together to, to get rid of unused Gravatar cabinets because Gravatar, beautiful looking game, but it is terribly difficult. And I do want to talk about that at some point. But I think personally that Black Widow is probably the most underrated Atari arcade game that they ever came out with. Now I'm ta- not talking obviously of their uh, of of their licensed games, uh, but for something that they created in house, I think this is the most underrated game. It is so much fun and it's beautiful to look at, and uses the pokey chips, awesome sound. I can't say enough about this game. This is one of my all time favorites. Uh, I just absolutely love this. I, you know what? I think I love it more than Robotron. Really? Huh. Mm-hmm. I I went there. I went there. You did, yep. didn't you? Uh, I did. This kind of game lends itself so well to a two-joystick setup. And um, the, uh, well, well, obviously, that's how it's controlled. I mean, this kind of game in a vector environment. You don't see, in fact, this might be the only, ch- is this the only two-joystick vector game? No, I guess it's not. Battlezone technically had two joysticks. Well, technically yeah, had two sticks. They're not typical joysticks, though, I don't think. No, but I, now that I think about it, I think there are some others that have had two joysticks. But, um, yeah, I just I, I love this game. I mean, it, it's so much fun, and it's just so colorful. And, I don't know, I always give it uh, one more uh, one more go. I cannot just play one game. One, <laughs> I cannot just play one round of this game. I just can't. This is one of those games that I'm like that with. One of my all-time favorites. One, of, I would say this is one of my top 20. So I'm guessing you're going to give it at least three continues, but... Uh, yeah, at very least. I'm going yeah, to jump right in and just give my continues. Uh, I'm going to give it a cautious four continues, but more than likely, after a couple of more plays, that's probably going to jump up to five. Because it is, is fun. a fun game. In a way, I mm-hmm. like to look at it. Black Widow is... Basically, the gameplay of Robotron with the look and feel of Tempest. Yeah. If you can dig that. And the thing I love most about Black Widow over Robotron is there's more strategy to this game. Oh, yeah. Especially with the uh, with the Hornets laying eggs on the grub stakes. Do you uh, push them off of, of the, the web uh, to get the bonus points? Do you stay away from them? What do you do with them? Uh, oh, it just laid a red egg. Those things are invulnerable. Oh, and by the way, anything invulnerable uh, on the screen does go away for the Thunderbug round, by the way. Thunderbug. Thunderbug. Um, so um, I forgot to mention that. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's got better strategy elements than I would say Robotron. And not to say I mean, Robotron is, a, is an easy five. But I, this game is way up there with Robotron. Uh, and like I said, I think I may actually like it a little bit more. I probably have to play several sessions of both games uh, to make that. You know what? I'm not going to say it. They're both fives. I'm just leave it at that. All right, there you go. Yeah, they're both they're both easy fives. And um, I just hope Bob D. Crescenzo is listening. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. This would be a perfect <laughs> yeah, the perfect hack for Robotron. Yeah, it's interesting that you only. The only vector games that have made it to the Atari 7800, either officially or homebrewally, are the Asteroid series. I yeah. think. Yeah, nothing else. Yeah. No. I, I think there was a part number that Atari put out for Tempest, but they never. There's a lot of part numbers for our different arcade games that Atari made for this, 
that Atari was going to make for the 7800 that either never got started or got started and we don't know where the prototype is and stuff like that. But um, yeah, love, love, love this game. So Sean, what do you have for scores? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, let me see. For I have scores. one score. Oh, do I have you? one score. Oh yeah. Yeah. oh yeah. I'm like number 23 or 25 on arcade for this game. Ooh, it's better than yeah. what I am. I'm sure. Yeah, uh, my Orcade high score for this is 120,975. That's pretty good. That's and pretty good. I actually, on my, the laptop I'm recording on now, I actually got 135,000 the other day. Ooh, nifty. Um, oh, I love this game. I could play this one forever. Hmm. Well, I'd probably get bored of it after a while. But I don't know. I never get bored of pizza unless it's Little Caesars, so. Oh, I, or or any any frozen pizza that's in a box that is disappointing. I've, except yeah. for Red Baron's Mexican pizza, the one time I had that, I was actually mm-hmm. like that. But uh, that's not about what we're talking here. Although it is kind of a pie, so yeah, Pie Factory sure. podcast. <laughs> hear that, Pepper family? Um, just for just for you, Henry. <laughs> but let's talk about more arcade doc. Oh, dude, dude. I found out why arcade, A-U-R-C-A-D-E dot com is spelled and pronounced the way it is. Oh? Apparently, the person who first designed it, programmed it, whatever, his name was Auric, A-U-R-I-C. Oh, Goldfinger. It's a a portmanteau. It was Goldfinger that designed it. Yeah. Auric Goldfinger, C-A-U is gold. Yeah. Yeah. See what he did there? But um, on Orcade.com's tracks, they have a tournament setting track, which means you don't get to continue getting bonus lives over and over and over. Zach Woodruff performed at the Game Preserve in Spring, Texas. That's a new one on me. I hadn't heard of them yet. But I I looked them up. I think they have a buttload of games over there. But um, Zach Woodruff on April 9th of this year, 2017, Scored 271,500. And the marathon settings, the record holder on Orcade.com is James White. And he performed it at Galloping Ghost on March 11th, 2016. I know. Tell me about that. And James White scored 457, 525, 457,525. And uh, I've got a quarter of his score. And there's a lot of them in the 300,000 range. So I've got a new goal to shoot for. There you go. And if we go over to Twin Galaxies, which is the kind of sort of official world record tank of Vigigaming, James Volant, Volant, I don't know how it's pronounced. James, if you're listening, please do. Well, forget what we said. But <laughs> May 1st, 1984, that score was verified. So, man, 33 years ago, and it still hasn't been beat 930,100. I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I can see that. I'll never, I will never see that on my own game, but I 135,000? 930,100. Oh, oh. Yeah. Um, again, I play a lot of these games. Uh, with cheats enabled just to see what happens later on in the game, sometimes to see if there's like a kill screen or whatever. But uh, I did on this one for a little bit, and holy cow, it gets insane. Wow. Um, yeah. And so, I uh, first saw Black Widow, by the way, at Galloping Ghost Arcade. In fact, I think it was the same day that we shot that video of Beavis and Butthead that we were talking about. That was the first time uh, I ever played it. I do recall you playing it that day. Yeah. 
And um, I actually did. It's it, it's part of Atari's greatest hits for cell phones and other portable devices. But mm-hmm. I and I've always had it, but I never actually played it on that. I wonder how they implement that thing on there. The thing I hate about the Atari collections, and I did try this because they do give you missile command with it. There's no um, option for using a Bluetooth controller. You have to use the the controllers on the screen for all those games. So really? if you really want to play this with a with a controller, install RetroArch, get the get the ROM legally, and then connect your Bluetooth uh, controller to it, and you know play it the way these games are meant to be played. Touchscreen controls, for the most part, do not work for any of these types of games. Just not at all. And uh, there's never been a good solution for it. Although you've got one, you've got the GPX. That's true. The GPD, the GPDXD. I want one of those. Yeah, you do. I definitely do. They also make a Windows version of it too. Oh, the GPD W something or XP. I don't know, but uh, something like that. Uh huh. Anywhere. I still haven't played it on that. The GPD XD would be the perfect platform for that because of the double joysticks on it. Oh, man. You you, you got to give it a shot. I got to. Oh, man. So um, are we, is that it with Black I, Widow? I think I that's, mean, that, that's definitely that's, it with the um, the Black Widow as far as I am such, concerned. Such a great game. Such a great game. really is. I really like Black Widow quite a lot. In fact, yeah, I'll tell you one reason I haven't been playing games a lot is because I usually play when I'm in transit on a Chicago Transit Authority train. I've been actually taking my bike to work and back lately for most of the time. Last couple of weeks has been decent enough weather. Mm-hmm. So that's why I guess hopefully I'll lose weight as a result. But hey, yeah, tell me about it. But. Oh, you got nothing yeah. to tell me about it about. Yeah, I've been gaining a lot of weight back. Uh, I haven't been able to get out. I haven't been able to get out on my bike too much, a lot as much as I want to between the weather and just having stuff going on with kids graduating from school and end of your concerts and stuff like that. So yeah. I haven't been able to get out as much as I wanted to. And, oh, which well. sucks because I got my uh, bike MS ride coming up the weekend of the 9th, 10th, and 11th of June. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, link in a previous show notes. I should, probably, I should put that in the show notes again. Yeah. I, I've, I've reached my absolute minimum, uh, that I need to ride in that thing, but, uh, more donations are always welcome because it is for a great cause. So, there you are. That's my little, uh, and friend of the little... podcast, uh, Kevin would highly appreciate it too. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Zerb. Kevin Zerbinator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indeed. And the, Indeed. Oh, speaking of Zerbinator, there's something else I want to talk about. Oh. And that's the other game we wanted to talk about. And that is Centipede. I think that's actually how you're supposed to pronounce it. Centipede. 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 And that is Spanish for have you a water buffalo? Oh, and no, I'm sorry. Never mind. Um, scratch Casa that. De Pepe. I'd take that out, please. Casa de Pepe. But um, anywho, why does it say here that it was released by Williams in 1982? It was never released by Williams. It was released by Atari. Atari and not 1982, but it was what? 1980, I believe. Hold on a sec. Centipede was released by Atari in July, 1981. You know what? Let's throw in another price. 
They were sold for $1,895. And the the fact that we actually figured out the prices of these, uh, of what these were selling for is not the theme of this episode. No, 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 no. We just discovered that. That'd just be too, that'd be really too easy. But, um, and I totally forgot everything I was about to say. Oh, yeah. Centipede was designed by Ed Logg, whom we've mentioned before on at least one or two previous episodes, and Donna Bailey. Or is it Donna Bailey? I think it's Donna Bailey. And I'm sure everybody who's ever heard a podcast that talked about Centipede has heard the name Donna Bailey. And, of course, it sticks out because it was not common back then. And it's not quite common now either for there to be a female game designer. And here's a little trivia for you. You might know this, actually. Who was Atari's first woman who worked as a designer? I do not know. That was Carol Shaw. <gasps> oh, yes. Uh, of Activision fame? Actually, yeah. She worked on River Raid. That was probably her best known title. But before she was with oh, Activision, she worked. She, what? I'm trying to remember. Did she do, uh, it was Steeplechase or Polo? Well, Polo was an unreleased Atari 2600 game. It was supposed to be a, uh, a, a, a promotional thing for Polo Cologne. Oh, that's right. Yeah. But uh, I hear it's actually a pretty good game in its own right. I've never played it, even though I've seen the ROM in many collections. But um, I heard it's actually halfway decent. She also did 3D Tic-Tac-Toe. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yes, yes. The game that nobody likes. I just never really play it that much. I'm sure I might it's enjoy difficult. it. It's difficult. I mean, oh, yeah. it's difficult because you got to think, you know, regular Tic-Tac-Toe, you're thinking left and right. Now you also got to left, right, and then because you, you can the have axis like, going you can, on. and instead of like a th- the three by three, you have a four by four and then four planes. And not only can you have four across or four up, on one plane, you can have them all up in a column or up diagonally across all four planes as well. And so you really got to like, you know, ultimate It's so easy game. to miss something in that game. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, that's, um, that's neither here nor there. That is Lydia. elsewhere. So let's go back to here, which is Donna Bailey, who was the only woman in Atari's coin-op division when she joined Atari in 1980. Uh-huh. And before then, she was a programmer at General Motors. And um, how how did she end up from working in General Motors to going to Atari? Well, she kind of got into gaming when she heard a Pretenders song called Space Invaders. Ah, which we've talked about. Um, Herb, can you play us a little bit of Space Invaders, please? Okay, thank you. But anyway, Donna loved that song. And a friend of hers, when he found out that she loved that song, took her to a bar that actually had a Space Invaders arcade game. So Donna tried her hand at Space Invaders, but completely bombed. But she liked the experience so much that that's what got her into video games. She had heard that Atari was using the same CPU that she was coding for over at GM, So she figured, you know what, this would be a good excuse to get my foot in the door at Atari. So that's exactly what happened. And the famous story with Donna Bailey's experience at Atari is that Atari had a notebook that was full of video game ideas. I think it was like 30 maybe. And most of them were pretty much the same, like laser kind of shoot 'em ups except for one. She saw one that was about, and I quote, a multi-segmented insect that walks out on the screen and winds its way down toward the player. 
So she decided that's the game she wanted to work on. She figured, you know what? All these other games kind of violent. You're destroying people and all this here. You're destroying bugs. You're not destroying people. You know, that's not terribly violent, is it? So that's what she worked on. She worked on centipede and she chose a pastel kind of palette for the game. So it would stand out among the other games. And, uh, when you think about it, think about how she loves Space Invaders. There's kind of a Space Invaders vibe with Centipede. Because the Centipede goes yeah, back and forth. Way, in a way. Yeah, go, yeah, the Centipede goes back and forth and then down a row at a time every time it goes back and forth. You got mushrooms all over the screen. Those are kind of like the shields in Space Invaders and you can shoot them away. There is a scorpion that comes out every so often and that's kind of analogous to the UFO. So you can absolutely see the Space Invaders influence. Indeed. And you got fleas that come down at you. Those are kind of like when the invaders shoot lasers at you. Anyway, that's um, a little bit about Donna Bailey and how she got involved with Centipede. And uh, talking about the game itself now, the control panel, and I swear I grew up thinking for sure that Centipede had an ambidextrous control panel. No, it doesn't actually. Actually, a friend of ours whom we will discuss in a moment actually pointed that out to me. He's like, dude, they are not ambidextrous. The control panel has a trackball on the right and a fire button on the left. One thing I love about the control panel is it has those classic black and red uh, glowing start buttons that Atari had on a lot of their games. I, I oh, love yeah, Black Widow had those also. Yeah, I think Asteroids yeah. had it. Tempest. Yeah, Temples, Tempest absolutely Temples. had it. Yeah, uh, yeah, Crystal Castles had them. In fact, interesting, interesting... Um, uh, going back to um, uh, talking about one of our uh, brothers in sound, as it were, I think was it Victor Mar- it was I, I think it was Victor Marland over at uh, Tenpence uh, was looking for some for his machine, and uh, he oh, couldn't yeah. find any. And uh, he actually uh, because those buttons were Atari, they were made at Atari, I guess, and uh, uh, he couldn't find any in the wild. And the, the replicas that he saw weren't arcade perfect so he uh he uh he made uh he made some of his own and uh i think he sells them uh i could be wrong on that hmm. uh, i'm sure victor will correct me on that that guy is a if you l- listen to 10 pence arcade i mean we give him uh duty we give him uncle Pooh every now and then because uh you know it's that fun that's that fun friendly rivalry thing we have but seriously listen to 10 pence and some of the stuff that he does First of all, I don't know how many arcade machines this guy has. I don't know uh, if he actually has all the machines as so much as he has the actual boards. And I think that, he might that's rotate that them might out. might be true, but he does have some cabinets and stuff. And he's oh, I'm sure he does. talking about different different things from like, you know, working on the, the cabinets to working on the monitors and stuff. This guy's insane. Yeah, <laughs> I, I do not stuff. have I, my I own could, video game cabinet and I do not want one. <laughs> I, I would like to have one, uh, but I would make it a main machine uh, so I could have all my stuff because need to move it around but uh yeah it's um the guy's insane when it comes to this stuff oh and by the way i got to address something uh oh most recent uh 10 pence uh they did an imper- uh, i think it was uh victor did an impersonation of me <laughs> so uh, i framed you <laughs> because i i did an impersonation of sean harley and so to get back at me, they mocked you. I love it. Yeah. So uh, thank I, you, Victor. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to mock them. Uh, here is my impersonation of Victor Marland. 
<laughs> Hold on, I gotta get in the character. <clears throat> yeah, sit up, adjust my microphone. All righty, here we go. <clears throat> Call us lying gits. Let's see how that works. <clears throat> he's not pain and he's passed on. This parrot is no more. He has ceased to be. He's expired and gone whoa, to meet whoa, his whoa. maker. Hold, he's hold. a stiff. Bereft of life, he rests in peace. If you hadn't nailed him to the perch, he'd be pushing up the daisies. His metabolic processes are now history. This is an ex-parrot. There we go. V- Victor, did you join us? Is that you? That's was Victor on the <laughs> that was, was Victor just on the simulation? Oh, that was you. That was me. Holy sh! That was great. <laughs> Bird with warm if you put four million oh my god, that sounded just like him. Amazed. Oh wow, I thought I was listening to 10 pence. Yeah, incredible, you know. The, oh, only thing, the only reason you know you weren't listening to 10 pence because we were not talking about how bad Peter Packrat is. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, see, yeah. that would be a dead giveaway right there. Yeah, but anyway, uh, where were we talking? Oh, yeah, but, but going back to that thing about those little black like LED. Yeah. Bl- we they barely also, talked about the game. <laughs> they also had those on the Atari 2600 demo kiosks in stores. I yes, love they those did. things. I, oh, gosh. That would be my ultimate holy grail to get one of those demo kiosks. Yeah, and uh, have your game have your game interrupted after 30 seconds. Yeah. I'm sure there's a way you could get around that. Uh, perhaps. Perhaps. I, I know you could. But that would still be a, a, a holy grail to have. But, yeah, going back to the Centipede... Um, control panel the fire button i should point out now before i forget later uh when you use the fire button it actually shoots well i don't know i don't know if this is kind of retrofitting things into the game but technically you are shooting arrows and um you're only allowed one arrow on the screen at a time but if you hold down the fire button it will continue to shoot for you may i say um no you may not uh, it's interesting you say that they are arrows because it just looks like a, a straight line. Yeah. But in the sequel Millipede, they actually, they look actually like arrows. are. Yeah. Yes, they actually are arrows. So yeah, and there's I a reason. There's a reason for that, and I'll get into that a little bit later. And I told you you may not say that. What part of no you may not did you not understand, young man? I saw we. <sighs> but anyway, going to now actually, you know what? Screw it. I'll talk about it now. Now the thing is the arcade version, when it came out, there was no real backstory, but on the home versions, especially with the Atari 2600 version, there was now a backstory. Your character is an elf named Oliver and you were firing at the enemies through use of a magic wand. Ooh. So I guess not arrows, but magic zappy things or something. I don't know what you call those things. Magic zappy things. That sounds like a drug. Hmm. It could be, it could be. But your goal is there is a centipede going from left to right, starting from the top row of the play field and moving down to the next row. Whenever the centipede either encounters the end of the row or bumps into a mushroom, many of which are scattered on the screen. And the centipede has 12 segments. Your job is to destroy all 12 of those segments. Do you get overtime if it's your job? Yeah, you do actually. Oh, awesome. Yeah. We'll talk about that overtime in just a moment. And uh, basically, the way I like to look at this is there are a series of attacks, and there are 12 waves per attack. 
And uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit from now. Uh, the mushrooms that I talked about scattered throughout the play field, you can shoot them away with your magic wand, as it were, with four shots. It takes four shots to destroy a mushroom if you wish to clear it away. Oh, and you know what? Um, I think we need to um, have an edition of video game physics. So, um, Hyde, could you drop in the uh, video game physics theme, please? It's time for another edition of Video Game Physics! Okay, thank you. Now, only in video games, this is how physics, I don't know if it's so much physics as it is physiology, but when you destroy a centipede segment, a mushroom appears where that segment was destroyed. So basically, dead centipede segment equals mushroom. So it converts from, it goes from an, from an insect to a fungus. That's uh, video game physiology, as you were saying. Yeah, yeah and so biology. is uh, what happens biology. if you shoot a centipede and the segment is neither the head nor the very last segment. What happens? The centipede splits into two new centipedes. <gasps> Sweet! So, for example, if you shoot... Like if you, cut an, like if you cut an earthworm into two segments, it becomes two earthworms, I think. Yeah, let's go with that. Let's go yeah. with that. Not that I go cutting earthworms, mind you. So, for example, if you shoot the eighth segment, then, of course, the eighth segment is gone and is replaced by a mushroom, but you now have two centipedes, one that is seven segments long and another that is four segments long. So, regeneration in the physics of video gaming, everybody. My regeneration. And there is a spider that comes out from the lower portion of the screen, and it bounces around from left to right or right to left. And uh, it never backtracks. Once it starts moving one direction, it doesn't go into the other direction, but it can bounce up and down in one place. And if it moves over a mushroom, it may remove the mushroom. And starting with wave two of each attack, fleas may come down, and when the fleas come down, they leave a trail of mushrooms. So you got fleas, you got your spiders, and also appearing after the first wave is a scorpion from time to time. It'll move horizontally across the row on the screen. And, little trivia for you, the scorpion is the only enemy in Centipede that will not kill you. Did you know that? Yes, actually, I did know that. Do you know why it won't kill you? Because he never comes into the bottom portion of the screen, nor does he dip down to it once he's on screen? Yep, that's right. The centip- Hey, what do I win? You win me not punching you in the face right now. Which would be kind of hard since you're 60 miles away. Actually, it's pretty easy not to punch you in the face right now on account of I'm 60 miles away. Oh, yeah, that's true. But yeah, the scorpion's literally too high up on the screen to ever reach you, so it's never going to be in danger. However, it does. It does cause a little bit of a danger in that it poisons any mushrooms in its path. And if a centipede or a loose centipede segment touches a poisoned mushroom, it will seemingly make a vertical free fall, whether or not there are mushrooms in the way. And the thing about that, though, is if you're careful, that could be an easy way to quickly blast away like an entire centipede, mm-hmm. or at least an entire string of centipede segments. And uh, by the way, according to Donald Hayes, we'll, t- we'll mention him later, but uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> he is the world record holder of centipede. The scorpion and flea will not be on the screen at the same time. I never noticed that. Hmm. I will have to look out for that. Yeah. 
And here's another bit of trivia for you. See if you can answer me this. What other enemy was programmed into Centipede? Ooh. Uh, I only know of the four. The Centipede, the, the, centipede, uh, the, flea, the flea, the Scorpion, and scorpion. the Spider. That's right. But there's one that wasn't. Huh. Do tell. The fifth enemy is a grasshopper. Really? It exists in the code. The graphic is there, but it was never actually used. And apparently it was supposed to have the same functionality as the spider. Interesting. Very. The movement of a grasshopper would actually be more spite would be more. Uh, yeah. It, it the, would the make way more that the sense. spider moves is actually more the way a, a grasshopper would move. A spider yeah. you would think would just come straight down from like the, from like his, his web. Yeah, and just kind of crawl around. Spider here doesn't crawl. The spider kind of jumps all over the place. Yeah, the spider in Black Widow moves more like a spider than the spider in Centipede does. Yeah. Ooh, uh, ooh, an additional theme. Ooh, ooh, ooh. oh, keep yeah, that. In you know your... what I'm thinking of? This whole world. Indeed. And uh, something that uh, is worth mentioning that you don't really hear talked about that much is that with each wave, th- the way the centipede is... It kind of attacks you in a different formation, if you will. Like the first wave of a 12-wave attack, the centipede is 12 segments intact. On the second wave, there is an 11-segment centipede and then a loose centipede head walking around. And then the third wave, you have a 10-segmented centipede and then two separate centipede segments, etc., etc. And with each additional wave, you get one more freewheeling centipede segment and a centipede that has one fewer segment uh-huh. all the way down until the 12th wave of the attack in which they're, every, all heads. they're all heads are all loose heads. You can actually uh, see the grasshopper in the game in test mode. I didn't know that. I just, cause you, you were talking about left on the cutting room floor and I decided, I wonder what the website, the cutting room floor.net has to That's say where I got about that centipede. From. But it says here, if you go into the test mode of the game and you viewing the graphics, you can see the grasshopper. In fact, they got a little animated uh, GIF here of what the grasshopper looks like. I did not know that. So, anyway, continue. Earlier, I talked about how Centipede has an obvious Space Invaders influence. There's one way that it's not like Space Invaders in that you can let the Centipede and any any Centipede segments go all the way to the bottom and you won't die, <laughs> providing you don't collide with the Centipede. But you might as well die, especially well, if you play this game the way I play it. Well, yeah, that's very true. But um, what may happen is if you let that centipede go all the way to the bottom row and you don't blast it away as soon as possible, more segments will appear in the top portion of your of the player area. travelable area. Because you get you get roughly a third of a screen to move around, roughly give or take. And so basically at the, at the very top of your move around area, there will be new centipede segments. They call that the side feed because they, they come out of the side and basically you got to blow those suckers away as soon as you can. And as you progress through the game, the faster the segments start appearing in the side feed. And at some point there are points in the game in which the side feed shoots out centipede segments so fast that the only real way to get away from that is by losing a life. So you gotta be careful with that. That's what always kills me in this game. Always. Every time. Well, keep listening there, sporty, because you might learn some valuable hints. 
to score some points. And speaking of scoring points, we'll talk about that. If you shoot a centipede head, you get a hundred points. And if you shoot a piece of the centipede that is not the head, you get 10 points. Must resist dirty joke. No, you are going to resist dirty joke because this is a family show. Manson, blah, blah, blah. Fleas are <laughs> worth 200 points and fleas require two shots. Actually, they, you have to shoot them twice to take them out. And a lot of really skilled people will go for the fleas and shoot them. Um, that's 200 points a pop and, uh, and fleas tend to come at you pretty frequently. Like if you shoot a flea, another one's going to regenerate really quickly for the most part. So basically if you're, if you have great aim and you keep shooting fleas, you'll build up your score pretty quickly. Oh, interesting. Oh, and here's another, some more flea lore for you. Remember the fleas require two shots to be killed. If you Mm -hmm. shoot the flea, the first, the first time you shoot the flea, it speeds up. I didn't notice that before, but yeah, that is absolutely true. Um, Scorpions are worth a thousand points. Mushrooms are worth one point. So yeah, the thing that requires the most shots gives you the fewest (laughs) points. Isn't that great? The spiders just so many of them. Yeah, that's very true. If you shoot the spider, you will get 300, 600 or 900 points, depending on how close you are to the spider. But uh, my advice with the spider, though, do not go after the spider, especially if you are not a very good player. Because especially, only go after it if it's like in your way. If it's in your go, way, yeah. Once it gets again, past you, your, yeah. Like if you're on the left and it passes you on the, if it passes you to the right, just let it go. It's not going to yeah. come back. They, as I say, they can't. Once they're headed one direction, they can't reverse course like the ghosts yeah. and Pac-Man can. And uh, when you lose a life, you get, believe it or not, you get a bonus. Now, what I saw in writing is that you get five points per poisoned or otherwise damaged mushroom. I showed you a picture of Duke Dang's centipede screen. Mm -hmm. And you remember what that thing looked like? Oh, yeah. It was basically nothing but mushrooms, except for a row down the middle, which I'll talk about later. Duke loves mushrooms. Yeah. And when he loses a life, it takes like 5,000 hours for the the bonus counter to to roll down. I mean, I have had situations that I lose a life and not get any bonus points. But hey, speaking of bonuses, you get a, okay, by default, the factory default settings, you get a bonus life every 12,000 points, assuming the game is in marathon mode. And uh, having said that, though, and Jimmy G, you've probably noticed this, but once mm. you reach 996,000 points, there's oh. there's an overflow error that kind of miscalculates when your next bonus life is. I'm not going to go over the details about that because it kind of confuses me. Uh, I'll put a link to an explanation in the show notes, as it were. So yeah, when you reach 996,000, your bonus life isn't going to be exactly every 12,000 points right away. So just be prepared for that, everybody. So speaking of high scores and bonus lives and all that, um, the high score table, this is some fun fact. This comes from our friend Duke Dang, whom we've mentioned before. We tried to get him on the show, but he could, due to scheduling reasons, he wasn't able to join us. So he basically just wrote us up some notes that he wanted to make sure that we covered. And one of those was the high score table, the factory default high score table. You will see Ed on the high score table and that's Ed log. And then there's another one DCB that's Donna Bailey. Oh, 
And this is not something that Duke gave us, but it's something I found out on my own. And of course, it makes a lot of sense. You know why the high score table has those initials there? Why? Because Atari wouldn't let their designers be credited. So that was their way of kind of sneaking it in. Yeah. Oh, it seems um, I should did not mention in uh, back going back to Black Widow, uh, talking about the high score screen, the high scores are all like a star G or whatever. But if you read them down, it says like Atari games. Really? Yeah. Something like, I can't remember. I don't remember exactly. I so they didn't sneak designer right names in it or anything. Interesting. Unless were they, they have, um, they, they're, they're, there's two different sections. There's like the daily and oh, then okay. the all time. Uh, uh, I, I believe gotcha. that was the all time section. that had I got gotcha. you. Well, yeah, and something just check that out real quick. Yeah. And, and uh, sure. I don't think we talked about the, did we talk about this in, when we talked about asteroids before, but, um, hmm. As with many Atari arcade games, the top three scores in Centipede are basically stored permanently. No, like you unplug I, the I machine. Talked about that. Yeah, you pl- you unplug the machine and you plug it back in. The top three scores will be there unless you actually physically have them erased. Interesting. In fact, we know that's the case with Centipede because um, what was it? It was I think it was Headquarters Beercade which um, actually it's no longer called headquarters. I think it's now another branch of Emporium. It's here in the city. It's in, in Chicago at the corner of diversity and I, th- or not diversity. It's at the corner of Sheffield and I think George or maybe Oakdale. They had a centipede for a while and then all of a sudden they didn't have one. There was a barcade that opened up later on in my neighborhood actually. And I still haven't gone there for God knows what reason it's called replay and they have a centipede and Duke realized it was the same centipede because when he went there for the first time, he saw his score and his initials in the top three. So I should talk about some strategies. Um, yeah, so, please some, of, some of this comes a little bit from me, so, uh, but a lot of it comes from uh, stuff that Duke sent over to us. And mm-hmm. actually the stuff from me is stuff that Duke taught me personally, because he's kind of tutored me on and off in centipede for the past couple of years. And we're talking about a guy who scores in the 800,000s. So Uh if you want to be tutored by somebody, he's the guy. But the one that I always try to default for is what we call tunnel down the middle. What we mean by that is you want to form a tunnel out of mushrooms right down the middle of the screen. And the way you do that is aim for the thousands digit of the high score and mm-hmm. shoot away centipede segments at that digit right there. Interesting. And what will happen is the centipede segments will turn into mushrooms when you shoot them over to the left and over to the right and leave an open gap right down the middle. Sometimes the mushroom will actually appear in the middle where you want the tunnel, in which case you'll have to shoot it away. Uh-huh. And any, re- any idea why you want to try that? Uh, to gather all your enemies in one place so that makes them easier to kill? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's exactly why, because they'll basically steer the centipede straight down in one line and bam, 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 bam. It makes it really easy to kill, especially on the first and second waves of every attack. It's really easy to do that. I have the the Black Widow Hall of Fame up here, and I I don't know why I didn't notice this until just now. It's uh, actually the top 20 scores, and all of the score, well, first of all, for the number one, two, and three are just totally blank. No initials and no scores. Number four is a white star, a red star, and a green star. And no David Bowie fans, there is no black star. Uh, and this score is 10801 at level 11. Every other score 
for the rest of the top 20 are 10101 all level 11 okay now number 5 is BDM B is in white D is in in red and M is in green the colors next one is RED Again, white, red, green, UNR, white, red, green. But I'm looking, reading them across, I'm like, BDM, whose initials are these? Then I read uh, numbers 5 through 10 vertically, and it says Bruce Dennis Morgan. Hmm. So I'm wondering who that is. Now, uh, that's the or first Or those are 10. separate people, Bruce and Dennis and Morgan. That could be. Uh, now, those are 1 through 10. They're in a column that takes up the, like, the top two-thirds of the screen on the Hall of Fame. Then uh, the next 10... Um, take up the bottom third of the screen. The next five, 11 through 15, are to the left, and 16 through 20 are to the right. 11 through 15 read Black Widow with black alt spelled in white, a blue star in the middle, and then Widow on the right. Again, you're reading it vertically. 16 through 20 is Atari Games. White uh, for Atari, blue for the stars, and red for the games. But I, I did not, how did I miss that, that it says Bruce and Dennis and Morgan on the high score table? I don't know. I did uh, at any rate, uh, I I was curious when you brought up the high score table to see what this actually read because I remember it's read had some words, but then I'm like, hey, I just discovered something. So, hey, you I, just I'm, discovered something. Hey, so, say, hey, I'm a do fromage. Um, oh, by the way, the tunnel down the middle strategy that also works in the Atari 7800 version, but mm-hmm. you want to aim at the hundreds place in the high score column in that one. It's basically down, just down the middle of the screen. It does work on the Atari 2600 version of it though, but it is very difficult to do that. That's a hard version of centipede, by the way, we'll get into that later. Um, another strategy that people use is, is um, well, the common name for it is the spider trap, which isn't really that accurate. It's actually more of uh-huh. a centipede, stra- a centipede trap. What people like to do is, on the lower right corner of the screen, the second column in from the right, people like to strategically destroy centipede segments so that there is a mushroom on the second, fourth, and sixth row and two columns over. And what happens there is once the centipede gets down into that little group of mushrooms, the way that it moves and follows the paths of the mushrooms, it will get trapped in there and so will any segments that the side feed generates. And the benefit toward that is that while the centipede is over there just being trapped, you can just sit there and wait for a spider to come out and blast it away for 300, 600, and 900 points. Mm, There are two disadvantages of that, though. One disadvantage is that it is a point-pressing trick that essentially prevents the level from actually advancing. And so because of that, it is typically not allowed in tournament play, and it is absolutely not allowed when you're submitting to twin galaxies, the other disadvantage and the practical disadvantage is that remember what the spider could do. Oh yeah. Spider could take away a mushroom. And once that happens, then that centipede in any segments is going to break free. Duke told me that there's a way you can recover from that, but uh, we didn't really get into a lot of detail about that. But uh, I think you have to be super skilled to just do that in the first, to just get that thing going up in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there's yeah. also what they call a blob strategy. This is another one that I wasn't really, I can't really explain very well, but long story short, it involves leaving a section of mushrooms untouched a little bit higher up in the screen. And the reason for that is when you destroy a certain number of mushrooms, especially in the lower portion of the screen, that's what triggers the fleas to come down and generate more mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And 
and by the way, I should mention that if you touch a flea, you die. So that's another thing. And that's another risk of having a, a flea around. I'll Basically, put a link you in- touch anything and you die, the exception of the mushrooms. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'll put a link to that strategy in the show notes. There's also a safety zone strategy, which I didn't quite understand, but it's mainly for people who score, like, say, what Duke Dang scores. We're talking, like, in the 800,000s. Like, it's like once you get to 800 and some thousand, that's a strategy you should use. It has something to do with the spiders. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Some other strategies, these are just very basic strategies I should mention here. Uh, you can use mushrooms as aiming devices. One thing that um, that you can do is like keep a mushroom like a little bit, tw- like keep a couple of mushrooms in your play field kind of toward the top. And when a centipede segment is about to come, like shoot at that mushroom when it's about to cross. And what will happen is it'll cut your shot short and it'll make your rapid fire go a little bit more and you'll have a better chance of... Uh, of shooting it, of shooting the centipede segment. Um, it's easier shown than said, but basically sometimes you can use mushrooms as aiming devices just for your own visual effect, I guess, just for your own visual concentration. And mm-hmm. speaking of, of the, I mentioned before that your play field is essentially the bottom third of the screen. That's where you can move yes. around. Generally, it's a good idea to focus most of your energy on that portion of the play field. Like what's going on way at the top. You don't really have to worry about all that much, except when you're setting up your tunnel down the middle, as it were. Mm -hmm. That I got from Duke as well. He also says, look, take full advantage of your peripheral vision because you're going to need it. And I kind of see that when I watch him play, because you can see that he's kind of steering straight ahead, but he'll kind of fling his trackball all the way to the side really quickly to shoot a segment, then go right back to the middle and things like that. It's, it's like, he's like, Oh, there's something over there. Let me go get it. Bam. Okay. Now I'm coming back to the middle. It's, it's really something to watch like skilled people play this game really is. And also something very important. And this is very tempting for every centipede player. Do not just constantly hold down the fire button. Don't do that. Just use it when you need to. And the reason hmm. for that is, Keep in mind how many shots are going to be allowed on the screen at one time from your cannon. Just one. And That's you, true. Have, you yeah. have to wait for that shot to dissipate before you can shoot another one. So you want to be conservative with your shots. You don't want to shoot. And then suddenly there is a centipede segment falling straight for you, but you can't shoot again because you still have a, a you still have ammunition in the air. So you got to be kind of conservative with your shooting. Those are just some strategies I wanted to mention. Um, some people don't like to use that tunnel down the middle strategy I mentioned before. Other people swear by it. I use it all. I use it all the time, and it I is a godsend. I try to do it when I play centipede. But yeah, once you get the hang of it, it's it. It really is a godsend. But the thing is, I don't think it really works all that all that well once you have a play field that is entirely filled with mushrooms, except for that tunnel, of course, because by that time you will have a poison mushroom that will be encountered before that centipede gets to the tunnel. You know what I mean? But I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've never had to worry about that because I've never gotten a entire play field of mushrooms in my life yet. I, that's going to be my goal. That's going to be my goal. I've only gotten about 200,000 on centipede so far, but Hey, if I keep practicing, maybe I will. I don't know. 
Wow, that was a lot to say about the arcade. That, that's just the arcade setup, Heed. Uh, there are many home versions, and uh, I'll talk. I'll, I'll mention some of the home systems that have had officially sanctioned Centipede. There's the Atari 2600, 5200, and 7800. Uh, and by my, the way, the 7800, in my opinion, is the best home version. Again, I love it we, because it's got the two players at the same time, which brings yes. a whole new dimension to the game and makes it a heck of a lot more fun. Yeah. I might've mentioned this on this podcast, but I was actually practicing on the 7,800 centipede with a joystick, mind you, and just practicing on that. The next time I played the arcade centipede, my, I beat my high score by a hundred thousand points just from practicing on the 7,800. And by the way, if you go to the Atari Age store, there is a hacked version of Centipede you can buy that will take advantage of a trackball if you have one. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Uh, I need all the, to get one of those. Yeah. The Atari 8-bit computers have Centipede. Apple II had Centipede, as did the Commodore VIC-20 and 64. The Intellivision had it. PC had it. TI-99-4A, BBC Micro. Game Boy had two occurrences of Centipede. One, there was a standalone Centipede. And another, there was a cartridge called Arcade Classic Number no. 2, which contained Centipede and Millipede, the sequel. Something worth mentioning, in 1998, Atari Interactive, which was owned by Hasbro at the time, they came out with a modernized version of Centipede for the PlayStation and the Sega Dreamcast and PC. And um, it was a very modernized version of Centipede. It had 3D graphics. There were campaigns because that's what was all the rage in video games at the time and the gameplay was different and they had an option where you could play original centipede which still had updated graphics and um just about any computer platform out there you will see at least one centipede clone and there's one that i do want to give a little shout out to and Mm -hmm. it's something that our mutual friend bob had And, um, I recently asked him about it because I didn't remember it. And he's like, oh yeah, that was Megapede. Yes. Yes. That was the, the, that was a PC game. Yep. Yep. That was it. I remember that. And I remember what amused me. I got to look that, look that up now. Yeah. There are a couple of YouTube videos on it, but they always play with the defaults. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because, well, there's something unique about Megapede and that's, you can choose different music that plays during the game. One of the music selections is literally just a guy going bah, 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 bah. <laughs> like basically do, doing like a Beavis and Butthead kind of guitar thing. And uh, I know that amused Bob. I was thinking you were thinking of uh, on the ColecoVision, he had, uh, I believe he had the roller controller and uh, Slither was the game, but that's not really a centipede. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I got to tell you, I didn't know until we started doing this podcast that he had a, a ColecoVision. So I don't know. Anywho, that was, uh, that's all I need to talk about with home versions as far as I know. And of course, all your modern consoles have Centipede on some kind of Atari collection. It's basically the arcade game emulated. Um, there was, of course, everybody knows there was a sequel and it was called Millipede. And uh, Millipede was actually originally called Centipede Deluxe. And um, several sources cite that, including AtariProtos.com. And, um, I wasn't able to get confirmation on this, but common speculation as to why millipede was called millipede and not centipede deluxe was because they were afraid that the word deluxe would have basically cursed it because, um, asteroids deluxe wasn't a huge hit space invaders deluxe. 
I think we brought. I thought we brought that up in the Asteroids Deluxe episode. We might have, but I can't remember what I said five minutes ago, let alone yeah, several episodes true. ago. And um, so, other things that I should mention. Oh, there is a kind of a tabletop video game by a group called The Bridge, and um, it is Atari Arcade Classics Centipede. Uh, those are those things. Those things are like already hard to find, aren't they? They're, they the just Atari Arcade's out. classic arcade machine, uh, well, I think, was only a prototype. I don't think it ever was actually released to the arcades. I'm, well, no, I'm talking about the ones that you go to, like, Walmart and get. I'm not talking about the arcades. Uh, because there was uh, an Atari Arcade Classics arcade machine, which had uh, a game called Centipede 2 and, uh, I believe, Missile Command. Maybe, maybe it was Super Missile Command or, or, or something. I don't know. But they were updated anniversary, uh, 25th anniversary uh, editions of, uh, no, wait, wait, wait. It, it was to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Atari, not the 25th anniversary of those games. No, that's not what I'm and, talking about. I'm talking about the thing you can actually go to the store now and get. Oh, 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 yes, 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 yes. I, I, I believe they do have a, a centipede one. It's uh, controlled with a joystick. Yes. Uh, yeah, not only is it controlled with a joystick. I have not seen these. Uh, not yet, only is it controlled with a joystick, but the joystick is on the left. Like, come on now. You know, oh, and uh, also, no, dude, the arcade game was right handed. It wasn't left handed. So why do they move in the, the control to the other side and making it not a trackball? I will give you I, I will give you the fact that the the control was uh, on the, the right hand side in the arcade. So on the little handheld unit, it should have been on the right side as well. I'll it should be. And it should be a, and it should be a, a, a trackball. Oh, my God. Let me tell you something. I don't like using a mouse on my computer. For one thing, mice poop all over the place. And another thing, you got that little cable that, that just chases all. And you run out of space. You have to pick up the mouse, move it over. And then, you know, I, I hate I hate the mouse. Right now at home, I'm using a trackpad on my computer. And at work, I brought a trackball that I have, a Logitech trackball. Mm. My coworkers can't figure out how to use that damn thing if they ever need to show me something on my computer. It's like, dude, you're my age. Did you not play Centipede? And one guy said, yeah, and I couldn't figure it out then either. Oh, what's dear so, Lord. What's so hard about a trackball? Centipede is effing easy to figure out. Oh, my a Lord. A fire button and a move ball. Boom. Done. Yeah. You want to talk about games, games you can't figure out? Let's talk about, you know, well, I figured it out, but a lot of people couldn't figure out, say, iRobot. Uh, a lot of people. I neither could I because I've never played it. So yeah, I love iRobot. I, but, I uh, so where, want where was I going with all anyway, that? Uh, the trackball on the left, and oh, um, one thing I should mention. Uh, this kind of related to what you were talking about before, but there is also a three-in-one um arcade cabinet from Atari that has Centipede, Millipede, and Missile Command. I don't like that thing. I really don't. Because first of all, the screen is intimidatingly big. It's kind of hard to focus. You actually have to move your head around to see everything. And the trackball on that thing is freaking huge. Centipede has a pretty small trackball. And it's not as big as the Missile Command trackball. It's a, it's a pretty small one, actually. But I uh, just wanted to throw that out there. But um, some other things I should mention about Centipede and its popularity. Of course, it's massively popular. So popular that Buckner and Garcia had a song called Ode to a Centipede on the Pac-Man Fever album. Um, Herb, can we hear a few bars of Ode to a Centipede, please? Oh, centipede. 
thank you very much. And, uh, oh, by the, I don't know if this was ever official, but I think it was Trivial Pursuit that mentioned Ode to a Centipede, and it implied that it had a subtitle of Spiders and Snakes number two, which I don't think was ever the truth. For one thing, there are no snakes in Centipede, so you don't have to watch out for snakes. Watch out for what? Not snakes. Yeah. And um, another thing having to do with the popularity of Centipede is that Donna Bailey was hoping that women would be attracted to the game. And um, that might have worked. I think I've mentioned before how there were times when my wife and I would be out and about. And if I'd see, like like case in point, Seaside Heights, New Jersey, um, Flashbacks, which was a very poorly kept arcade, which mercifully burned down after Hurricane Sandy. Um, sometimes I'd duck in there and, uh, play a couple of games of Qbert or something. She'd be on the centipede machine. So I don't, I don't know. That just might be, might just be working. That's only one example, of course, but Hey, that's what I wanted to say about it. Did you, did you have anything you wanted to uh, toss in about centipede before we talk about uh, the high scores? Nah, no, not really. You pretty much covered everything other than oh, the fact welcome. that I absolutely totally suck at this game. Dude, you got to try some of these strategies and you'll get better. I have tried the tunnel thing and it just don't work for me. I mean, uh, it works to an extent, but then I always like get killed by the spider or I let too many of the segments get down to the bottom and then I just get frustrated. But I get frustrated with just about everything too, though. So, I mean, your mileage may vary. Well, mm-hmm. actually mine does. You got to lay off the fire button too. Be, be, be gentle. With I didn't it. never even yeah. thought about that. Uh, I might try that next yeah. time I play it. But um, let's go over to, let's see, let's start with Orcade.com again. There are two tracks, one for tournament settings, which means that you are not given limit unlimited bonus lives. Donald Hayes performed at Fun Spot on November 5th, 2000. Um, he scored 7,111,111. So yeah, that's with limited bonus lives. Wow, it's just, it's just staggering. And let's see, the marathon settings, however, performed May 29th, 2000 at Fun Spot, 3,743,691 by Donald Hayes. That's interesting that his marathon score is roughly half of his tournament score. It just seems weird. I don't know. But if we go over to Twin Galaxies, Twin Galaxies basically agrees with Orcade with the tournament score for Donald Hayes. They verified that on May first, uh, May fourth, two thousand one. Marathon settings. They have Jim Schneider, who uh, Jim Schneider scoring sixteen million three hundred nine three hundred eighty nine thousand five hundred forty seven, and that was verified August first, nineteen eighty four. And there's also a track for a three minute limit, and on November nineteenth, two thousand six, or at least verified on that date. Donald Hayes, again, in three minutes, scored 59,106. So that'd be an interesting little challenge to do. Indeed. And my score, my highest score on Centipede was 200,866, performed at Underground Retrocade on October 8th, 2016. And um, let me see. And since we... Um, had some shout outs to Duke Dang. We should also talk about his high score so far. Let me see what he had. Um, okay. I know he scored higher than this, but, uh, his highest one listed on orcade.com is 786,852. 
Duke uh, quite frequently streams his games of Centipede. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Ghost. by the way, that was February 24th, 2016 at um, Galloping Ghost Arcade. And, oh, dude, at Galloping Ghost, their Centipede machine is right under their air compressor. Whatever that thing is, whether it's an air compressor or it's a just a, a an air conditioner or just some kind of just a fan, that thing is on all year over at the Ghost. And if you're standing... Under, if you're playing Centipede, that thing's going to blow your hair. It's going to be very distracting. And Duke has like shoulder length hair. Oh God. Yes. And he still manages to get that score. He told me that he, that he tries to wear a hat whenever he plays Centipede there. Um, but man, I, it's still, it's still gotta be a beast. Um, okay. <clears throat> um, let's see on twin galaxies. He, his, he actually does have a score adjudicated on twin galaxies. It says tournament settings. I don't know if that's true, but uh, 700, 790,917. But again, I know he has scored over 800,000 points on Centipede. And the thing is, like, the reason that we were trying to get Duke on the podcast is basically, number one, he's local. And number two, at least the way I saw it was, hey, here's a guy who he, he's he's not like the champion gamer of all time or anything, but he still gets some pretty amazing scores. I figured, Hey, who better to talk about centipede than somebody like that who can score really, really high and who's um, accessible to us and all that. Um, Mm -hmm. He actually did try to get Donald Hayes to join us. Oh, he kept saying, you got to talk to Donald Hayes. And he, he, uh, he messaged me later on and he said, you know what? I, I talked to Donald on your behalf. He's not available. He's busy these nights. So he can't record. He's like, okay, no disrespect meant to Donald. I just never thought of having him on. That's all. If he, I'm certain, um, I don't know about you, Jimmy G, but if he wants to be on the podcast, he's certainly welcome to, as far as I'm concerned. At any time. Well, except like when I'm working or something, you know, that, you know, first things first. Or if I'm in the middle of, say, ba- uh, like baking a uh, beer bread or something. Or, you know, maybe not when I'm like clipping my toenails or something, I guess. That would be a pretty bad time. Unless you want to break from clipping your toenails. But um, anyway, um, that I think I said everything I needed to say about Centipede except where I first saw it, which I know was Aladdin's Castle and Lincoln Mall. You know, Centipede is up there with uh, that sequel to Galaxian and Ms. Pac-Man as being a pretty ubiquitous game uh, way back when. Oh, yeah. uh, it was a game you just saw everywhere. Honestly, I cannot tell you the very first place I ever saw a centipede machine. I'm pretty sure it wasn't the Aladdin's Castle, or and I don't think Putt-Putt had it. But uh, you saw it pretty much everywhere else. And um, I seriously, I don't think it's true I don't think it's right, but I uh, I seriously want to think the first place I ever saw Centipede was at the uh, the beach house at Wico Beach in Bridgman, Michigan. Huh. Uh, I think. I, I do remember seeing Targ there, and I do remember seeing 720 Degrees there. Uh, oh, that's I a fun game. Think, eh, well, we'll get to that at some point. I'm... I'm wondering. I, I don't. I don't know the first place I saw Centipede. I want to think it's Wico Beach, but I'm pretty sure it's not. No, no I, I absolutely remember first playing it and seeing it at uh, Lincoln Mall at uh, Aladdin's Castle. The Kro- Yeah, it's not so ubiquitous that the Kroger near where I lived had it. They never had it, but uh, but yeah. And just to show you the ubiquitosity of it, this is fairly recent. I'm talking like within the last ten or fifteen years. 
in downtown Red Bank, New Jersey, actually not far from where Yestercades is, there is slash was, I don't know if it's still there, but there was a store called Funk and Standard, which was basically one of those stores you get like wacky miscellaneous things like, uh, like this little wind up toy called Nunzilla. It's a nun that shoots sparks out of her mouth. Um, and like, like wacky washcloths and stuff. You get like basically a novelty store in a way. Um, they actually had a cabaret centipede in that store for a while. And there were teenagers all around it playing the hell out of it too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's ubiquitous and arguably ageless. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I could, uh, I could see that. Um, should we go into rating the game? Yeah, why not? But Honestly, I'm not a huge fan of Centipede. I mean, I'll play it from time to time, and I'll enjoy it from time to time, but it's not one of my go-to games. I, I'm just, I'm just not a fan. I can't get into it, exception of the Atari 7800 version, which I love. And well, by um, the way, the uh, the tabletop Centipede that I talked about earlier, that looks and sounds like the 7800 version, including the little playfield border that it has. I will have to look. I've, I have yet to see any of those with uh, with my own uh, two eyes. I've not seen those. Well, I've not seen personally. them in person either, but I've seen YouTube videos and things. Yeah, and uh, I'll have to look to see if the Walmart out here has them. I wouldn't even know where to look at the Walmart out here. Uh, but at any rate, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm just not a huge fan. It's not a bad game. It's not one of my favorites. I understand why people like it. Yeah, I, but it, it's, it's just not my cup of tea. You know, uh, I, I'm going to rate it a three. Wow. Okay. I can kind of understand that. And the thing is, like, if it were like three years ago, I also would have rated it a three continues because I felt it was kind of overrated because I'll tell you what I would love. I loved Millipede. And when I would play Millipede, Millipede. if I played Millipede and then went to a centipede machine, I'd be bored instantly. Because like, man, centipede's missing a lot. That's, you know what? You mentioned that, and I think that's why I like Millipede more than Centipede. It's variety. Oh, yeah. Uh, Millipede Millipede isn't just the, the thing going back and forth. It's also got flowers you can't destroy. It's got the DDT bombs, and it's got different waves where the Centipede, where you're getting a buzz bomb by, uh, by different insects, and the Centipede isn't anywhere in the screen. And I think that's why I like Millipede more, is it's got more variety. It does, but... Then once I started learning how to really play Centipede, i.e. when Duke started showing me how to play it, I I got hooked. I've been addicted to it ever since. Every time I go to an arcade, whether it's the Ghost, whether it's Underground Retrocade, and uh, when I went to Pixel Blast, that's a play. I need to get to Pixel Blast. I have we not need been to go there back in so there. long. We haven't been there since, the, that's a since great place. Their, their grand opening. Oh, gosh. That is, yeah. it's not a huge arcade, but it is It is a fun place. It, it absolutely is. And I highly right recommend it. next to the train station. You know what? You could. I think it's the same line. All three of those places like, are close to train stations. But the, uh, but I, I believe... I could be wrong on this, but I believe Pixel Blast and Galloping Ghost are uh, basically right along the same train line. Yeah, they pretty much and both of on the same train, and they're pretty much on the same state route too. I think. Uh, uh, US thirty four. I, th- I, th- I think they're both on thirty. Like, per, if well, the Ghost is definitely on thirty four. Pixel Blast is very it's close a to thirty four. Of yeah. yeah, but they're both by the same train line. I think the train line actually goes under Route thirty four in Brookfield. Now that I think about it. Huh. 
So yeah. So what was I, I saying there? Yeah, but yeah, I mean, but but really, after I started learning all these strategies, I I got hooked and I couldn't stop playing. And then I went over to Millipede. Some, by the way, some of the centipede strategies do work on Millipede. Um, the tunnel strategy, not so much. But well, basically, they, they, yeah, because the mushrooms go up and also, down. The yeah, every wave they'll go up, and then if you destroy a certain. Or they'll, they'll go down and then, you know, we'll talk about Millipede later, yeah, we, but it's, we, it's, it's, got, it's got a lot of fun twists to the centipede formula. But, but the thing is, like, once you learn centipede, once you actually learn those basic strategies and you actually start playing for a while, you get really hooked. You really do. And I got really hooked. I want to rate centipede a five, but I have a feeling that it's part of me. Part of the reason I want to do that is because, well, it's a classic. You have to rate it a five. So I don't know. I don't know if I want if I should rate it a five or if I should just say a strong four. It's based on your enjoyment. Do you have a, a, a five continue enjoyment out of the game? But then again, I rated Space Invaders based on it being a classic. So your mileage may vary. <sighs> Here's all right. I don't know if it's so much that. I would read it five because I enjoy it because I enjoy it or because I just get addicted to it and I just don't want to stop playing it. I, well, I don't that's know. a form of enjoyment it, to a degree. It, it is in a way. You know, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to read it five continues. There we go. Five continues. Hey, we each rated a game five. Yay. Yay. All right. So having said all that, should we like talk about what is, what, what's the theme for, for this particular episode again? Well, funny you mentioned that. Uh, these are buggy games that you and me have at least one six digit orcade high score on. Ha! Ah. You've got the one for centipede, which what was your high for centipede? Again? It was a skosh over 200,000. And mine for black widow was, what did I say? 120 some thousand. Something like that. And you have Something since like broken that. the 130,000 in MAME. Yeah, but that's not on Orcade. But yeah, so bug games that have, or these are games that have spiders that we each have six digit Orcade scores on. Yeah, I totally forgot about the spider and centipede. So you, know, there, you could go many, many different ways with this. We were originally just going to say, hey, these are games with bugs. Yeah, Chris but Plus then, Plus then, guessed it was games with bugs, but guess but what, Chris? You're only half right. Ha ha ha. But then I remembered you and me both have six-digit arcade high scores on these. We have six-digit arcade mm. score. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. All right. So and that's episode 55. Yeah, it's um, episode 55 coming so, to a merciful close. So, yeah, have mercy. What is next episode going to well, be talking about? Should we thank some people first? Yeah, we yeah, yeah. yeah, we let's let's, let's, thank, let's thank people. Thank people. F- let's thank people first, so that people have to listen to the credits before they hear the the preview. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> first off, thank you to our Patreon sponsors. Thank you Yay. to Jonas Rulo, Greg Polander, Nate Lockhart, Kyle Edder, Michael D'Angelo. Thank you for clarifying your pronunciation, by the way, Michael. Rory Coleman, thank you. Uh, real quick, uh, Rory, uh, thanks for bringing that. Uh, that uh, Pac-Man uh, little plug-and-play thing by the other day. All right, he he had a he keep, he's got a Pac-Man plug-and-play thing. He keeps saying he's gonna bring out to me because he comes to Morris every now and then. And huh. he uh, we got uh, we got together. I Why think it was on Sunday? So yeah, oh, it has well. Mr. Pac-Man and Galaga and Bosconian, and it's the one where you where the knob twists for pole position. I have to say that's a that is a really good control scheme for pole position. 
But anyway, so, um, as I was saying, thank you. Thank you, Rory. Thank you, Richard Valdez. Thank you, Underground Retrocade. And thank you, Keith Sheehan. And mm-hmm. uh, also want to extend a thanks to uh, Tuiville and Steve Tui. And thank you to Duke Dang for your help with this episode. So, Dukes, um, Anywho, what is. Uh, so, I guess. What, uh, go ahead. Guess, guess yeah. away. So, I think we should uh, reveal the games for the next episode, but. These, um, if I tell you the names, it probably guessed the theme, even though we haven't really settled on a theme yet. We just thought this would be kind of an interesting twosome uh, of games to talk about. And uh, we'll come up with a theme other than the obvious one. But I'm not going to tell you the names of the game, but I will sing the music from both of these games. Ooh, what okay. could possibly well, go some wrong? of the music. I can only remember some of the music from one of them. Um, <clears throat> Da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, that's one of the games. It's a lot of music. I can't remember that one. But the other game has a level with music, with music that goes da 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 So I would say one of the other two themes, but that would give the game away a lot. Wasn't that the music that in that Tom and Jerry episode when Jerry and that other mouse like defrosted the freezer and then refroze the frozen floor and they used jellos for like lighting gels and they ice skated around the floor. Isn't that the same music? It could be. Probably not. But you know how video game uh, manufacturers love to use public domain tunes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. uh, I don't think it is, but yeah. But it could be. But (laughs) like I said, if I was saying some of the other music from it, it would have just been so easy to get that one. But yeah, mm. uh, those are your clues for the next episode. Clues. We still had, don't haven't decided on a theme for it, but we're working on it. This next episode is going to need a lot of research, especially for one. Of oh those boy, yeah. yeah. I don't want to do but, research. Uh, uh, I might hire somebody to do my research. There's a lot of research for this one, but Duke did most of it for you. Yeah. <laughs> Man, we should invite people more so they can do our research for us. Yeah. No. No. No kidding. No. I was going to say no shitting. S-H-I-D-D-I-N-D-N-G. No, yeah. you shouldn't do that. So, yeah, that is us. That's the, that's the show. Yeah, that is, that is the show. So That uh, is the show. So once again, from the Chicago, this is um, possibly Surgical Sean. And this is, I don't know, this is, I, I'm just going to say Jimmy G, because that's what people know me as. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so... Uh, we'll talk to y'all in two weeks and uh, go from there. Bye. Rust. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. Let's see. Boom, 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 boom. I can't do that anymore. Boop, 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 boop. They're coming to take me away, haha. They're coming to take me away, ho ho hee hee, haha. To the happy home where life is beautiful all the time. And I'd be happy to see those nice young men in their clean white coats and they're coming to take me away, haha. I am amazed. I remember. Why am I suddenly super duper loud? 
Oh, ColecoVision, yeah! This is gonna be a fun afternoon.